D&D 5e. Hell, I've been playing D&D since there was no E. Hey, welcome to the Grognards. My name's Dean. Off to the right is Eric. And behind me is Greg. And we are the Grognards. We're getting ready to do our very first initial podcast. And we are talking D&D. But since we are doing D&D, we got to have a DM. And today, the DM for this session is going to be Eric. So let's take it off. Thank you, Dean. Greetings, gamers. Um, I think first we need to explain what we mean by Grognard. <laughs> because uh, historically, it's had a negative connotation in gaming circles. Um, in our view, grognards are to be respected for their exquisite gaming knowledge and long history of gaming. Damn straight. So um, we take pride in being grognards, um, and we hope that you view it with a positive connotation eventually as well. Here, here. The, 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 the official dictionary description of a, or explanation of a grognard is an old soldier. None of us is old here. Um, but what, uh, what it really is is someone who enjoys playing older war games or role-playing games or older versions of such games. Now, historically, what was it? It was uh, Napoleon's... Napoleon's elite guard. Yes, right. The uh, elite guard who could actually complain about shit. Yes, and Napoleon would not penalize them or you know, hold that against them. So right. he respected their opinions and... And we're going to do the same for gaming in our hopes. That's right. So we are the Grognards. And since we, we are talking about older war games, the granddaddy of all of them, D&D, right? Yep. That's that's where it all started for me. Yep. Um, where did you start playing D&D? Right? Uh, my actual first real D&D experience was with Eric about, what, three and a half years ago. What? Uh, he is not a Grognard. He was a RuneQuest guy. <laughs> uh, we'll try no. not to hold that against him. No, I was a Palladium guy. No. Uh, when I started, uh, the buddy of mine that got me into D&D in 83, he was uh, not a fan of the current D&D uh, combat system, and uh, that was when Palladium came out, and he's like, look, we'll do this instead. Sucked it in. We were playing <laughs> three nights a week by the end of the month. Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's awful. Well, I've been playing... Um, Gee, Christmas. I think I was uh, 10 years old, and I was on vacation with my parents, and I saw... I was, we were at a game store. I don't know why we were at a game store. Maybe it was just a regular department store, and I saw this box up there, and it said Dungeons & Dragons, and it was a red box. And I thought, that looks pretty cool. So I actually bought it with my own money. It was my entire vacation had money. had no idea how to play. No idea how to play. And that's all I did for the rest of the vacation was read that damn book. And that's where I started. Not a travel game. No, <laughs> uh, my brother was not interested. My my origin story, so to speak, is rather amusing. I had a friend in grade school who went to a summer camp in Maine for cello. And he came back probably around 1978 and said, oh, I got this great game, but I don't have any of the books. So we played Dungeons and Dragons from his memory. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. For about six months until we actually acquired... Um, the player's handbook. That was AD&D. I never played the uh, basic. I owned okay. it, but I never played. We jumped right into AD&D. And for 11 and 12-year-olds, we had some jacked up rules. Let me oh, tell you. Oh, I bet you did. Man, playing from memory? Oh, my God. Yeah. So. And uh, it was good times. Did he at least have a decent memory? Yeah. I, we, <laughs> we had rules like if you were a fifth-level wizard, you could just cast as many spells as you wanted up till fifth level. We were a tad disappointed when we got the actual rules. Wait a second. Fireball's not available at first level? <laughs> yeah, well, we Endless could cast level? Fireball every round. <laughs> Which, but it was cool. cool. Yeah. And that's I think that's uh, part of what makes me so... Um, I, I'm really enjoying playing... And we'll talk about the additions here in a little bit, but I really enjoy playing... Fifth edition because it reminds me so much of first edition when things weren't so damn complicated. I agree. That is so. uh, one of the appeals for me as well. Yeah. Well, why don't we just get into it and start talking about? Oh, these first, editions. I mean, we're, this podcast we're going to talk yeah. about a lot of stuff. We're going to focus on D and D, right? Um, for for much of the content, but we play a lot of different games, as Greg can attest. Um, <coughs> he has a non-traditional <laughs> background from our perspective, very much so. Um, but we figured we'd start the first podcast by talking about all the editions of D and D and our our feelings about those and any possible amusing anecdotes. So, um, <laughs> first edition. Now this. First edition came out uh, pretty early. 1974 was when the yeah. the you know booklets came out, 
Uh, and then 77, 79, you had uh, Player's Handbook, Monster Manual, DM's Guide. Those are the hardbound ones, Those right? are the hardbound, yeah. and that's sort of where, where I cut my teeth. And uh, it was a quirky system for, you know, it's a lot of people don't realize that it was as groundbreaking as it was. There was nothing else like it. Right. I mean, it literally was blowing my mind. I mean, I was reading this stuff, and I was like, where has this stuff been? All my life. I mean, all the movies and books that I've seen, now I get to play them in a game. Yeah. One of the things that really interests me is uh, there's a lot of people now that do research on the history of mm -hmm. Dungeons and & Dragons, and there's people who've written books, and a lot of it starts to make sense when you consider that Gygax came from a wargaming background. So if you were used to what we call pushing minis, you know, with <laughs> armies— um, a lot of the rules sort of got transitioned over into Dungeons and Dragons. They weren't a very good fit, in my opinion, but he made them work. Um, and that's that's sort of how I feel about first edition. It was a, a great game because it was the first one. By modern standards, it's got some some warts on it. I actually, um, I never really had. I don't know about you guys, but I had no complaints about first edition. Um, all my complaints come with the other editions as they, as they progressed. But first edition for me was like my first and uh, first main love. And I think I still like it as my favorite edition. Um, I was playing it in grade school, played it throughout high school. Matter of fact, we got banned in high school from playing it because we were playing it in English class. We would have our English books up in front or in study hall, and we had our games behind it. And That's the, pretty awesome. The, the instructor thought that we were a really well, uh, 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 a good group of guys working together on homework. Oh, my God. That was the furthest thing from the truth. But you learned a lot of words in first edition <laughs> yes, that you we didn't did. know. I yes, mean, we did. Melee, uh -huh. which some people say melee. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. You know, all those, oh, my, the, the chart of pole arms. Yes, I knew more about uh, medieval weaponry and all that kind of stuff from this game. And it also, in for the, the better... It also opened up a whole wide range of interest in books. Yeah. I mean, is, is, did that happen to you guys? Uh, to a certain extent. Well, yeah. let's wait. He wasn't playing first edition. I know. Right? <laughs> but, so, so what year did you start gaming, Greg? What was that again? Uh, it was uh, August of 83. That's when you first game. So you're oh, Role-playing role games. Role-playing games. Not, so, uh, not board games. So that games. was still the first edition era, and that's when yeah. we started to see right. a lot of the clones come out. Yes. Right? Uh, people said, this is a great concept, but I want to do it my way. Yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah, that's how Mike sold us on Palladium. As he goes, we would we would go up to Slot and Wing, and there would be this huge rack of D and D stuff. And he pointed to the one little three quarter inch thick black Palladium book and goes, "All you guys have to buy is this one book, and we can play this." And we were like, "Okay, so, we're in. So we're he in." He was being cheap. Uh, well, yeah. He was being cheap, but he also he he liked the stuff. It was there were some fun races. It started out with some oddball races. It had pretty flexible rules. You, uh, uh, character classes and races were not tied together at all, um, hmm. which I, I, I really, believe they were in first edition to a certain. Well, extent, basic they? they were tied. Yeah, yeah. all yeah. elves were. Yes, you know, elves and dwarves were a race and a class. Yeah, they yeah. did we their used to own make thing. Fun of basic D and D players when I was playing. <laughs> yeah, um, it's interesting. You had a friend and you went to a big game store and you found it i came from a very small community and the closest game store was 50 to 60 miles away so it basically limited us to dungeons and dragons i picked it up i bought it and that was it there was no oh look at that selection or that selection it was that was it so i so i was that, limited by geography i have an amusing anecdote about that i was uh my dad owned a, a donut shop and i had worked every week in the donut shop. So I had some income from the time I was 12 years old, and I spent nearly every penny on Dungeons & Dragons stuff. And I used to go to the Walden Books at the shopping mall. Mm -hmm. And one day my mom is with me, and I'm buying the latest module, whatever it is, and she looks at the cashier. He's a young guy, probably in his 20s, and he, my mother says to him, he spends so much money on this stuff. And my cashier looks my mom straight in the eye and says, he could be on the streets doing drugs. <laughs> my mom <laughs> nice. never said anything else about me buying Dungeons and Dragons stuff. <laughs> nice. I, I owe that 20-something yeah. guy a, yeah. a debt of gratitude. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And he yeah. was probably just, you know, being a snarky smartass and, uh, you know, maybe. But he was, I'd like maybe. to think he was a fellow D&D &D player. <laughs> yeah, I bet he was. I bet he was. So I, uh, Greg has nothing to contribute to First no. Edition. Well, although, now, <laughs> I did, or, uh, 
at uh, at Gary Khan just this past uh, month here, I did actually play uh, original White Box D and D and was uh, damn kind of stunned at the lack of rules. And but you uh, know what? That's what was so great about it. Well, it, and it went really quick. I mean, once we once we finally got the combat going, uh, yeah, things kind of went relatively quick at for the all most twelve of us. At the most recent <laughs> Winter War here in Champaign, I played a first edition game. It was it was pretty produced just a couple of years ago but i don't think we cracked the rule book once no no we didn't we didn't look at it either. he would just roll some dice it was a lot of seemed like a lot of uh uh what was going on was placed on the game master yeah i think he, that's true don't he you had to make a, he had to yeah. run things a lot more there was no asking you what your you know, I, was. He I, had to similar you. to you guys when i was up at uh gary con i played a first edition game with um uh what was it? Luke Gygax? Luke? Luke. No, the other Gygax. Er, Ernie. Oh, Ernie. Ernie, Ernie yeah. Gygax. Who was the son of Gary, Gary Gygax, who created Dungeons & Dragons, of course. If you're listening to this, you know that, so... And I was surprised how quickly it came back to me, because I hadn't played first edition in, in years and years. And um, what struck me was, one, how much more deadly first edition is. Yes. Oh, yeah. And you just accepted it. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's an old joke that um, when Gary played with his group people would make the same character and just call it like the brother of Bob. Like yes. Bob would die, it would be the brother of Bob, the cousin of Bob, and so on and so forth. They knew they were going to die. Right. And if they Streamline character creation if you use the same one. Um, and a lot more problem solving. Things that we sort of, I think, gloss over in the later editions. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, use of rope and spikes and, and all that stuff was sort of inherent to first edition yeah. where, where now we just sort of hand wave it and say, okay, we use a rope, we get across the and, yeah, chasm and, yeah, and, and right. everything's fine or just make a check and you're done. Yeah, you got 50 things in your adventures pack and it almost never comes yeah. up that you're going to use them. Yeah. So right. like first edition, you know, I'm going to spike the rope in. Well, where are you going to spike it? Exactly. You know, that never gets asked in fifth edition, yeah. I don't think. You know, you, you just, just make your should, skill check. Right. Um, that brings up something that I really appreciate about a first edition is that uh different races and different classes had different limitations yeah nowadays and we'll get into this with uh, 5e and and 3e and all that good stuff it seems like everybody can kind of do a little bit of everything and i kind of like the fact that you know halflings couldn't be a fighter of a certain level they had a topped out limit because of well their race was because they topped out at three feet exactly (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That and, type of stuff. And you probably never hit that level. The experience table was such that... It was hard. It was hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to get to, what was it, like 10th level, you had to have like, I don't know, 120,000 experience points or something like that. Yeah, and it, it got exponentially more difficult as yeah. you got up. And part of me wonders if that's the whole reward culture that we have going on with the young people. Not to get into controversial territory, but you know, everybody needs a ribbon in 5th edition. Right, you got to yeah. get that level yep. quickly. Yeah, uh, AD&D when you leveled, it was a points. big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and and there wasn't a lot of reward coming. And money was yeah. experience yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, you got that. You got a platinum piece. That was good experience. True capitalist economy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It was the seventies. Uh, so what came after first edition? Second I'm, edition. Second edition. Now, uh, that that one. Go ahead. Nineteen eighty nine. So first edition lasted quite a while before they decided to revise it. Uh, I actually don't remember the break between first and second, and that's because I was sort of in an unusual circumstance. I had um, gone away to college and was uh, in a regular group, and the DM from that group actually ended up, uh, she went to work at TSR for a while. Hmm. Um, Hi, Julia, if you're out there listening. Uh, (laughs) So uh, we just, it was sort of during that time that we transitioned into second edition, and it was pretty smooth for us because we had just started a new campaign, new books. Um, so for me, there wasn't a huge distinction. A lot of the rules stayed the same. Um, what about you guys? When- second edition almost killed me for it. Um, like the Star wow. Trek movies, <laughs> um, the, 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 the even-numbered ones in Star Trek are good. For me, <laughs> the odd-numbered ones were the ones that uh, uh, I enjoyed. Um, I was in the same situation. I went off to college, so my D&D playing kind of took a back seat, and then when I got back into it, second edition had already been established, and I ended up playing with people not significantly younger than me, but basically people who started in second edition, and then I was like, what the hell is Thacko? 
Yeah, you know? I was gonna bring that up. Um, and and it, things had changed for me, and I'm I, nobody likes change, but I kind of liked the way things were going. And when Second Edition came up, I was like, "What the hell? What is Thacko? Why did yeah? Why did why break something that wasn't broken? Well, there's fix something that wasn't broken. There you go. <laughs> interesting history to to Thacko, and I we used to pronounce it Thaco. That was another thing back in the day. There was no internet <laughs> culture. Like you were in a little bubble, and if you happened to run into another gamer, so. I mean, there was weird pronunciations, drow, yeah. or drobe. Uh, oh, you know, my gosh, yes. A million different ways. But um, the Thacko actually was in the original first edition Monster Manual under one of the monster listings at the back. They had used it, and uh, Frank uh, Menser, I believe that's how you say his name, um, said that uh, people had used it locally for a while. It didn't actually make it officially in print as a, a character option. Um, till second edition, but it, it makes sense uh, when you look at it from that perspective. And that's another thing when you read the history. If you come from a war gaming background, mm-hmm. for example, I'm shooting at a tank. I roll my to hit. They roll their defense. We cross index it on a table that tells me whether right. I penetrate or not. Uh, it, it, Panzer leader. Yeah. Panzer blitz. That type. Starfleet battles. There you go. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was 1981 second edition. Excuse me. I, I gave you the wrong. That's name. all right. Yeah. We never said we were experts. No, well, <laughs> I want to be accurate. No, uh, but I have very little um, memories of playing second edition, other than the fact that I really was resistant to the change. I wasn't the DM. Maybe that was part of it. I was a player. I'd been for the majority of the time the DM for my group in first edition, and maybe I just didn't like the way it was being run. So that could have been it for me. So, and then again, we go look at Greg, and we get a blank still, stare. Yeah, I'm still playing, <laughs> still ADM. champions. By that point, yeah, I had transitioned into playing yeah, champions, and, and that was, I mean, if we want to talk about non D and D, and you know, first edition, it was pretty slim pickings for what you were going to play. By the time second edition rolled around, other companies had realized there was money to be made. Yeah, and. Oh. Young, usually guys, young guys had ideas. They wanted to make a superhero. They wanted to make whatever. And we saw a Sci-fi, ton of games. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't even begin to list. I, I walk through convention, uh, you know, merchant areas, and I see, you know, used games. Oh, my God, I played that game. I had totally free. Living Steel, which is based on some anime, I think. I saw a copy of that for sale. We played so much stuff. Yeah, by the by the late 80s, there was a source book for every even semi-popular nerd property. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know the, the Palladium people, they did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They did, uh, did they do Battletech or Robotech? They did Robotech, I think. Yeah, um, yeah that, there was a whole lawsuit yeah. around Robotech and Battletech. Yeah, and- we, uh, we were wanting to play. There was a uh, Bubblegum Crisis. That was an anime uh, series. They had rule books for that. We bought that with the intent of playing it, mostly just to look at the pictures. I was just doing a little research online here about second edition because I, I honestly don't know why they made second edition other than the fact that, you know. Uh, TSR is a publishing company. And yeah. they've got to keep publishing. They wanted company, to make money. Well, they says, wanted to sell you new books. I'm reading something here. It says the release corresponded with an important policy change at TSR. It was an effort to remove aspects of the game that attracted the negative publicity, the oh, whole satanic oh, worship yeah. thing. They, re- I didn't realize this. I, I had a letter to the editor published when I was like 13 yeah. about the satanic, yeah. the satanic panic. The oh, satanic you know panic. we were all worshiping the devil if we were playing D&D. Well. Um, I had a hard time convincing my mom that I wasn't. <laughs> but it was second edition. They yeah, removed they got rid of all mention of demons and devils. Yeah. They got rid of the assassin and the half orc. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, they they cleaned it up. Well, I didn't make any difference. Yeah, and <laughs> apparently the target age was lowered. I mean, <laughs> well, I think D and D did start as again reading some of those histories. Um, it was like a college phenomena it was originally. A, yeah. It took it was off a good war game crowd. Yeah, well, the, a lot of the war game crowd looked down on it because it wasn't real war gaming. Yeah, well, um, and that still occurs. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah, but uh, but yeah, we're and, married and have wives and families. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which we introduced to D and D. Yeah, although if you With were sitting to listen variety to variety of success. Yeah, <laughs> if you if you listen to us, you're wondering probably how the hell these guys exactly. ever find a woman. <laughs> Exactly. But, you know, the other thing, second edition, just, you know, the preponderance of supplemental material 
You know, we played Oriental Adventures, which is probably not a politically correct title nowadays. Yeah, no but, kidding. Um, but we had fun with that, uh, you know, and all those source books that came out. If, mm-hmm. if you were looking to spend money, second edition was where you could spend it. Yeah. So um, I didn't have a whole lot of experience with second edition. I kind of just wrote it off. It wasn't – I got the books, and I think they're almost in mint condition. Oh, hold on to them because they're worth money. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> yeah, I sold all my D&D stuff at one point in my past because I figured I would never play again. Silly me. <laughs> wow, that didn't work out. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. Well, what's yeah. next? So third edition. So I, I personally took a break. Um, I went to graduate school, fell in. I, you know, Dean and I know each other through a medieval reenactment group, and mm-hmm. uh, I got more involved with them. And then, of course, MMOs uh, online, you know, EverQuest, that era, started to do more with that. So I sort of kicked back and didn't play a lot of D&D for a bunch of years. Um, didn't have any kids, you know. Yeah. Did you play third edition? I did not. Oh my gosh! I, I, I have the. He's going to be contributing a lot in future podcasts. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. Yeah, uh, the the '90s for me was a uh, a haze of sci-fi and horror games. The group I was in, they were not fantasy gamers and medieval fans. They were sci-fi people and horror people. We were playing. Mm. We were still playing Champions, uh, Star Wars, uh, Call yeah. of Cthulhu, uh, the, Dark Conspiracy with the dice pools, dice pool games. I love that yeah. mechanic. Yeah. yeah. That was something that never attracted me. I never, as big of a sci-fi fantasy fan as I am, D&D was it for me. I can count on one hand the number of role-playing games that are not D&D that I have played. Well, we, I was lucky enough to go to undergraduate in uh, Normal, Illinois, Bloomington Normal, Mm -hmm. and Game Designers Workshop was based out of there. The creators of Dark Conspiracy. Yeah, they played Dark... uh, Space 1889, mm-hmm. right? That was an awesome game. That was the first real steampunk, mainstream, mainstream steampunk game. Yeah. Traveler, you know, we, right. I just played that again at the last convention at uh, Gary Con. Uh, Twilight 2000, you know, now, yeah, post-apocalypse, military-based. We played all those games. We had a great time with them. Yeah. Yeah, I was always very intimidated by Traveler because you would go into the game shop and it would there would be just dozens, if not hundreds, of books for that. They were all black. Well, the, the, the running joke for Traveler was that you would have a character that would be really highly skilled, but they'd be 70 years old because the character generation <laughs> in that game was was rather quirky. You re-enlisted yeah. in the service branch and served four-year terms, and if you didn't muster out at some point, a lot of characters began their adventuring career in their 50s. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, third edition for me was kind of a... I don't really know how I got into it. I just know that, and we'll talk a little bit about this in future podcasts, um, kind of the, uh, uh, what is it called, Uh, uh, organized play. Um, I got into something called Living Greyhawk. Living Greyhawk, yeah. And that was third edition. Yeah. And so I didn't even realize that, again, much like second edition, I didn't realize they had switched it up again. And so there's a, here, here's the new books and stuff like this. And I got them loaned to me, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was great. And when did that come out? Third edition was uh, around 2000. Yeah, okay. And 3.5 was three years later. Right. I mean, because apparently three wasn't enough. <laughs> uh, three had some, some... Yeah, and it was basically tweaking. Some warts. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that was kind of the beginning for me where I was wondering if I was going to be able to keep playing D&D because... Like you said, we had third edition, and then very short time later, 2003, we had 3.5, which meant the books I just got done buying, yeah, I had to rebuy. And that just pissed me off, because I was like, I just gave you almost $100. And that's when books started to get expensive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. now you're talking real money. And I didn't see that big of a twist, because my style of playing didn't require me to tweak everything all the time. I was, what do they call them, min-maxers and yeah, stuff like min-max. that? That was a min max was the third edition's dream. There. Yeah. Um, so when third edition came out, I was actually working at a computer game company, um, Cyberlore Studios, and one of the guys there um, decided he wanted to run, so he started running. And I played, and then I I had started my own campaign as well. Um, couple things come to mind. One, I run all my home campaigns in Greyhawk. I've run every every really? game I run in Greyhawk. Since Greyhawk has been around since before D anD D. The yeah. whole realm of yeah. Greyhawk. Yeah. So so I love Greyhawk. Uh, you know, not a big fan of Forgotten Realms, but um, that's where I 
so Living Greyhawk, I still refer to that material online for my current game. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot. I, I love the fact that they develop a lot of source material. Right. That being I love said, the fact that I can look it up online. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then I change it on you. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, 3 and 3.5 was a DM's nightmare. I think Every you, monster yes. was a character. Yes. And it just, you know, large combats became very difficult characters were always optimized monsters were always thrown together because you didn't have time to develop every single monster as a character mm-hmm. you know yeah you could use the ones out of the book but that's not always fun um and then wand spam i just remember what everybody do you mean had, by wand spam i've heard that but i never really yeah. don't quite understand that so you could cast a cure spell on a wand and have 50 charges. So you could have a wand of cure light wounds. So okay. everybody just carried their wand of cure light wounds. All right, that's right, because I do recall now, everybody had a wand and they were just like, pew, pew, pew. Yeah, yeah, there was just, you know, it was easier just to buy wands and, and use those for those spells that didn't really matter. And, yeah. you know, of course, min-maxing, you had your uh, that's helmet sort of... that gave you one benefit and your bracers that gave you another. Well, doesn't that devalue your healer in the group? I mean, if you've got somebody whose primary job is to keep everybody safe and everybody's walking around with a wand healing Again, themselves, that's what I'm talking what's about. What's the, the point? First edition. <laughs> you had the first edition limits. You know, if you couldn't be, uh, if you were a halfling, if I, you couldn't be certain classes if you were a halfling. Yeah, I mean, if you put the versions of D&D rule mechanics on a continuum, first edition and third edition are diametrically opposed. Yes. I, yeah. It's just, it's nothing like it not some people still enjoy playing 3.5 it's mostly the people that love to min max which coming from me i'm a min maxer i don't are you really oh he always totally is i was at a convention it was winter war here in champaign and i was playing with people who were true min maxers and i wasn't okay and granted i was also just coming into um a a campaign that had already been kind of established through the uh, Living Greyhawk and stuff like this. And I'm w- literally watching these guys because of all of their min-maxes and their just wiping the floor with demons and, and, and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, this isn't fun no, anymore. No. You guys have done all this math and all of this factoring. Where's the role-playing? It became roll as in R-O-L-L, roll the dice yeah, playing. yeah. You have to keep it under control. I mean, I, I most recently min-maxed my goblin ranger, Snarglepuss, who uh, <laughs> rides a war cow because as a Beastmaster ranger, you can summon an animal. And you picked a cow? And Well, because it's fun. He's, <laughs> he's a cow, and he dual-wields lances. A gnome? What What is more terrifying than a really angry cow? Yeah, (laughs) with a gnome on it and two lances. Might I add, the (laughs) cow has a midnight black coat with fiery red eyes named Buttercup. Also, fresh milk after each battle. Oh, wow. So that's that's my my current kind of min-maxing. I've I've gone away from uh, the more traditional make things no fun. And my biggest complaint is probably because... They made it an open game license, and this is one something that I think was the biggest problem. They made the open game license. They kind of allowed it to the players to change the game. Yeah, and to make their biggest competitor. <laughs> yeah, they did. They basically cut their own throat because, and I have no complaints about people who play Pathfinder, but I think Pathfinder is third edition taken to its most illogical Conclusion. Well, there are so many splat books for Pathfinder. Anytime you add extra rules on top of rules, you get an exponential explosion of possible combinations that are abusable. Which is why I don't play advanced squad leader, because I don't have time to give up my job to learn the rules to play the game. I've actually never played ASL either, surprisingly enough. There was a time when ASL, you would get regular updates in the mail, and you'd put them into a three-ring binder and throw the old ones out, put the new ones in, and by the end of the a year or well, so. Here, here's one that we can get. Yeah, Greg and Starfleet Battles. That sounds like Starfleet Battles in the uh, really? in the late in the early and mid eighties. Uh, okay. When they went to the Commander's Rule Book and it was a three ring binder system, indexed with numbers. And yeah, you would buy these little ten dollar rule supplements and you would replace pages mm-hmm. in your book because they had stacked cross rules. And uh, that was definitely a classic version of a game whose the rules just gobbled the game up to the point where you couldn't play or have fun because you were so busy cross-indexing all of your rules and and all of your Starfleet capability, all your starship capabilities. You had to set up a lot of pre-game 
rules you know you know here we're not using any of this no electronic warfare no you know we're minimizing the missiles and no you know no mm -hmm. uh legendary captains and nothing like that we just and we usually left that stuff out but uh you could do it sounds like same thing here eric and i were both at gary con and we both played the same game dawn patrol which has oh, been around yep. since the 60s early 60s right or something yeah, I, like that. There's, I don't know why i have the strange attraction to world war one flying games to, but what did they call that? They called it, um, oh, welcome to playing Dawn Patrol, uh, the game of, what, is, what did they call bookkeeping? Uh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Adventures in bookkeeping. Yeah. Well, but it's not too bad. No, I it's mean, not. I played Starfleet Battles briefly, and I still remember my first Starfleet Battles. I was being taught the game by a veteran player, and halfway through the battle, he launches his shuttlecraft, and I say, well, what, shuttlecraft, does that have a laser? Yeah, it's got the pew-pew laser on it. And I'm thinking, okay, that's not going to do anything. Well, the shuttlecraft gets close to my ship and opens up in like 10 missiles. missiles. Like, oh, yeah, that's an optional. I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, that's, you got you to gotta watch that stuff. It depends on it, that game being fun, totally dependent on everybody being yeah, on that the same page. That wasn't fun. And that was what I frequently played the Zinti in that because they were the um, fi missile carrying fighter race. And I could fill the board with my missiles, and the poor Federation guy was there with his eyes all bugged out because yeah. he couldn't go anywhere without running into my uh, my missile attacks. Now, going back to something that Dean had said, that open game license. I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast oh, on yes. that. But yeah. looking back, do you think it was a good idea? They well, did it again in five, yeah. fifth edition. I mean, they, yeah. it's not as unlimited I, as it was i think they have a few more restrictions on it yeah they I do they yeah do. you're limited in what you can uh, draw but as much as we may be sounding like we're complaining about 3.5 and 3.0 um i actually really liked it i it, it brought me back into the game it really did and i think again and maybe it wasn't so much the game it was who i was playing with and I think that's the, the crux of D&D &D in general, any game for that matter, is who you're playing with. And I was playing with some really good people who um, really made it fun for me, the DM did, and it kind of re-taught me the game. Yep. Um, so I really enjoyed 3.5 and, and stuck around with it. Yeah, but I, I but when, then people started getting into the whole Pathfinder stuff, and they started falling off, and I couldn't I find people to... I drifted out before Pathfinder started to take off, really. So I had that brief period with with third edition 3.5 mm -hmm. i stuck with 3.5 for quite a while yeah. well it wasn't at 3.5 and pathfinder and the open license that sort of caused tsr's financial issues and their eventual purchase by wizards of the coast or did that happen before that um i don't I recall i think that that's an excellent yeah. question well yeah um if we I, take I a look, it'd be nice to get these questions in advance greg yeah it really would <laughs> yeah don't throw them I'm, at us i'm just I, making these but up. thankfully we got the internet they, they had problems during second edition because that's when uh, Gary lost his controlling stake in TSR. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there were some financial problems there. Um, it doesn't say here on Wikipedia necessarily, but it does mention that, of course, after 3.5 is fourth edition, their Wizards oh. of the Coast yeah. was in charge at that point. So yeah. that's the elephant in the room. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure how any of our listeners feel about 4th edition, but I can personally say not a fan. Not that. I honestly, I think I played one game of it, and I realized that it was um, so dumbed down and made like a video game. That was like, screw this. And yeah. there were cards involved, weren't yeah, they? Because yeah. Because you couldn't keep track on a piece by of Wizards paper. of the Coast. And what's Wizards of the Coast known for? Yeah, Magic, Magic the Gathering. Yeah. So so and, my uh, introduction to 4th edition, I, I ended up marrying a lovely woman that I knew in, in as an undergrad in college. Um, we had both accidentally married the wrong people, so moved back here. We got married. She had two children, uh, my step stepkids, and they wanted to learn how to play D&D. &D. They were about 10 at the time, mm -hmm. 8 and 10. And the newest edition was fourth edition. And since I had sold all my previous stuff because I had moved a lot and got sick of carrying it around, I went to the game store and got fourth edition. Did introduce them to D&D in fourth edition, but did not like that edition of the game. Um, yeah. I, too much like playing a video game. It felt like World of Warcraft with your cooldowns and... Yeah. And you know what? The thing that really, again, referring back to first edition and, you know, it was deadly, first edition... I had a character in 4th edition, the one or two games that I played, you couldn't die. Yeah. You didn't die in 4th edition as far as well, I... Well, you don't die in video games. 
know, yeah, you, you kind of like restarted, you took a long break or something like that. And I honestly remember the DM saying, no, you don't die. You just become unconscious or something to that effect. I mean, my experience with fourth edition is so short that maybe maybe we should just skip by it. Well, the other thing that happened in fourth edition was I don't know how you guys played D&D. I tend to use minis. I like to have miniatures, you know. Yes, I, I do. I, I don't miniatures invest awesome. in crazy dwarven forge runes or anything. No, I usually no, use no. a battle mat. Right. But um in fourth edition, you were almost forced to use miniatures, and it turned into more of a tactical simulation, where I have this feat that'll push him this far, and my, you know, my adventuring partner has this feat, where if a monster moves this far, they get an extra attack, and it it really turned into this. You know, I felt like I was playing some, you know, tactical level World War II battlefield game instead of Dungeons and Dragons. It just got. Got a little crazy from that perspective. Something like it maybe depersonalized. It took the again the role playing out of the playing. Exactly. And, yeah. And um, yeah, so. I wasn't playing for E, but I I was aware enough of it at the time, and the fact that Wizards of the Coast had uh, had purchased TSR. That uh, yeah, my impression was just like that they had Magic the Gathering, good old Dungeons and Dragons. Now there was one thing that came out of Fourth Edition that I liked. They once again started to publish a lot of supplements. And if you're into converting stuff, a lot of them are still usable for 5th edition. I mean, there was a lot of content that got published in 4th edition, unlike 5th edition. <laughs> Did, uh, have either of you ever had a character cross editions? Were you ever running? Uh, it doesn't yes. sound like maybe... Yes. From 1st to 2nd. 1st um, to 2nd and 3rd to 5th. Oh, that was a weird jump. Well, my second edition ones, I just never really, I mean, they went to second edition. I tried, yeah. but I didn't play it. But my third edition, I've got some that crossed over. All right. Yeah. Was it a smooth transition? Did it work out well? I made it work. Yeah. because yeah, I made it work. You know, as a long-term Champions player, I had characters go through three editions of the game. Wow. You know, and, you have, and you're rethinking it all the time, and that's... That can be weird and awkward when your character's powers radically change because the rule <laughs> system changes and somebody yeah. did decide to make the game more or less deadly. And uh, yeah, I just wondered if that had uh, come up in your D and D. Yeah, a lot of times they had conversions when they would switch. Yeah. They mm -hmm. would have like how yeah. to convert. How to convert? Yeah. And, and that's available online now. There's yeah. all kinds of of not uh, an option in the nineties. Actually, there was <laughs> probably a crowd for every edition of D and D out there. If if. Fourth oh, is yes. your favorite. You can find a you group find that them. loves fourth. Hey, and if you're out there, let me know because I've got. I, I, people gave me their fourth editions because they knew I was a big D and D player, and I'm like, what the hell are these things? Get yeah, they're taking up space on my bookshelf, and you can't. Second edition maybe worth something. Fourth edition, I kind of doubt it. Yeah, that's still pretty recent. You can't even give them away on garage sales. It's a fresh so, one. So fifth edition, we can now bring Greg into the yeah. into the discussion. Ah, finally. Finally. So um, we're up to about, well, there, yeah, but what, 2012? Is that what it was? 2014. 2014? Not that long ago, surprisingly. It seems like it's been longer. Um, and I jumped on it. I wasn't part of the play yep. test, but I, I was. jumped on it real quick. Yeah. Um, again, because I had moved back here, had toyed with fourth edition realized pretty quickly it wasn't for me so once fifth edition hit i was hot to try and and ironically fell in i was involved in boy scouts and fell in with a group of guys and we were talking the other scout leaders are all about my age and we started saying yeah i used to play dnd back in high school you know we used to play oh you know we should get a game together and we started the game that greg's in that group is yep. going on four years now about right. three and a half, I think. Three we started half. in the fall. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. I was part of the D and D next playtest. I thought it was great because I was getting all these uh, uh, rule books as they were being developed. Playtesting you know, is play, fun, and it was fun. It was fun, and immediately I got a real warm feeling in my tummy because it felt like first edition again. Yeah. Um, and as a matter of fact, I think it was somewhere around that they almost. Uh, took up that line, and I think in first edition it says these are more guidelines than rules. If you don't like something, yeah, fix it for however it works for you. Rulings, not rules. Yes, and it became roly. Uh, I'm sorry, role play again, not rolling play yeah. again for me. So I'm I am knee deep in fifth edition. Yeah, I really like it a lot. I think, I think all of us pretty much are. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. I know. Nothing but good things to say. I, I run 
a group that meets monthly, all us, us older individuals, because we have busy schedules. <laughs> we were calling it the Scoutmasters group for yeah. a while because yeah. everybody in that, with like one exception, was either a Scoutmaster or an Assistant Scoutmaster. Or yeah. a former Scoutmaster. Or a former, yeah. um, And then uh, we discovered Adventures League, yeah. <laughs> which you know adds another game night if you're into uh, organized play. Um, and then a couple other side groups that, that I have another group that meets every other week. Um, again, tries to. <laughs> tr- tries to. Um, again, when you get older, schedules get a little more hectic. Not like the, the younger days where we would game all weekend. And you could stay up until 2 or 3 in the morning and play and not be a wreck the next two days. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, I said that I liked it because it reminds me of first edition, which I think it does. But how do you guys feel about the advantage-disadvantage thing? You know, because, you know... I, I originally really liked it. I thought it's a clever mechanic. Yeah. The implementation of it varies. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a mechanics guy. I'm a system guy. So essentially, anytime you give advantage or disadvantage, you're on average varying the roll about five. So an advantage is basically just like a plus five, plus yeah. four, plus five to the roll. Sometimes I long for those days where I could just say, okay, take a plus two to that or minus two, or it seems like when we implement that mechanic, we've sort of given up on, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of a modifier right. for this, which is more of a first edition feel mm-hmm. than a fifth edition. So I love the mechanic. I'm, you know, I'm surprised it hadn't, hadn't uh, been noticed earlier by other right. popular games. Now, you're a DM. I'm a DM. Greg, have you DM'd? I have not. You have not. Okay. No. So I'm, I, I kind of feel you on that, but I really like the advantage-disadvantage, especially if they role-play well. Yeah. Um, then I'll say, okay, take an advantage. But one of the other things that's new in 5, unless I'm incorrect, is inspiration. It's kind of like a, you know, here's a gold star. Use it when you need it. Do you use it when you play? Um, I actually modify the inspiration for my home game. Um, normally, you're allowed to have one. I give, one, as a DM, I'm a lazy DM. I don't want to have to keep track of when to give inspiration. So at the beginning of every session, I give each player a bronze coin. That player can then award that bronze coin to another player, and that player gains an inspiration. And there's no limit to how much inspiration someone can store up because I will make sure they burn through it because I'm a mean DM when it comes to combats. So you... uh, Explain that. You're a mean DM. What do you mean? I'm actually... I don't think I'm a mean DM. So, but I Greg can maybe back me up on this, but I would say in at least three quarters of my combats, there's a good chance somebody could die. Yeah, Th- that is totally okay, true. Okay, well then I guess I could be considered a mean DM because I have many of my players are sweating. It's like, crap, I'm down to my last 10. Yeah, combat yeah. is very serious. And yeah. and uh, I think that comes from yeah. us being first edition players. Yeah, and the inspiration points, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that lets them rack up. I usually, I'll, uh, they'll, I'll get two or three or four or five, mm-hmm. and I will blow through almost all of them. What do you use them for? Combat. Or I should say, uh, what do you, you use them for you, and what re- do you allow uh, them to use? Reversing a really crappy roll. Okay, so uh, you get to re-roll. Thing. Yes, re-rolls or bonuses to roll. Well, you're supposed um, to use inspiration before you roll. And we sometimes we let that slide a little bit. Yeah, but, but usually, it, uh, I, maybe I should have corrected that before. and said you throw that you throw that inspiration in on a roll that really matters. That I'm down die. I'm down so many points. If I don't kill this dire wolf, I'm dead. So I'm throwing an inspiration in and getting my bonuses or okay, my advantage. So he takes the inspiration. What do you do as a DM then? Do you say re-roll it if it's not what you need or do you now, say usually they have to declare it before po- and then they get to roll two dice and take the best yeah okay so yeah, you you're, add, you're buying it. advantage you're yeah. buying an advantage roll yeah. okay. now now here's you know one of the warts on fifth edition so to speak and we could probably do a whole podcast about this as well but the six to eight encounters per day yeah, no one can do that. That's you would you would have a table full of dead players, especially the magic users. If you have combats that are not meaningful, if you just want to throw a horde of minions at characters so they use resources, so the last combat actually matters. Yes, you can have six to eight encounters, but but I why? don't want to waste that time. Why? And and what if things don't go well? What if you know? You're on your way to to resolve the big quest, and you're killed by a horde of squirrels dropping out of a tree. Oh yeah, that happened uh, to Greg at Gary Con. <laughs> you know, that's just you know, I I like the idea that combat is important and not just something that happens during the course of the day. I I, I have 
historically played with people who are more character-driven role players. And so I like encounters and whatever you do in a game to mean something to the plot, yeah. such and, as it is. But so, so I cut down that clearly. Some days there's one encounter. Sometimes I'll fit two in. But I make changes to 5th mm -hmm. edition. I homebrew. One of them is that any special abilities monsters have, I let them take as bonus actions. That gotcha. levels the playing field yeah. substantially. And it we sucks. can get into the action economy <laughs> and the implication of that. The other thing is um, I will frequently double hit points on monsters uh, because characters can dish out a lot of damage. Yes, they can. Um, and, I don't, and the other alternative is to run more monsters, but that just makes my job as a DM even harder. Right. There's more things to keep track of. Yeah. Um, although I am a big fan of waves. When the characters really think they got the upper hand, oh, wave two comes in. Yeah, um, that mm. keeps things on the edge um, and really makes for some meaningful encounters. So, um, and we're coming up, bumping up on our end of our time. When you DM, I'm speaking to you, Eric, as a DM. Yeah. Do you go in expecting your players to die in this particular encounter? No, I I am a DM who thinks there should always be a path to success. For the players. Right. I'm the same way. Whether they take that path or not is up to them. Most often, it's bad die rolls that will do them in yeah. and make it much more difficult than this. But I'm never going to set up an encounter that just has a failure. There's no I've, Kobayashi Maru yeah, in I have in played my with game. DMs who are just, they're just freaking mean. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's a DM I play with fairly regularly, and I can tell he really wants to kill characters. And, as, and again, we could do a whole podcast on, on philosophy behind DMing, but that's not the way I DM. Yeah, I, I want to challenge the characters. You know, you want that aha moment when the group figures out how to, how to defeat something. I have, as a DM, killed characters. Uh, first edition and third edition. And, and See, I don't even yet. go that far. Hmm? I have let characters know they have died. I don't kill characters. Characters kill themselves. That's true. Okay, semantics. But you know <laughs> what I'm saying. I felt bad when it happened, to the point where it really made me, not sad's not the right word, but it left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, and I know that if you don't have the threat of death of the character in the game, there's no real, I mean, there's it loses value. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that a DM's position is not necessarily to, you know, control the characters, but in some way take care of the characters even if they're being stupid i'm so, now if they're being stupid i will still let them be stupid so here's here's my philosophy that feeds right into that uh dm and the players participate in a co-construction of reality so i make everything except the characters they make them i put them in a world and then through their actions that determines the path everybody takes. So it's cooperative storytelling. Cooperative storytelling. Right, exactly. Um, and to that end, I see the DM as a moderator. And that's the way Gygax viewed it. He was a moderator in yeah. the game. And that came from war gaming backgrounds. Again, full circle, here we mm -hmm. go again. He was a war gamer. Somebody in a war game would frequently take the role of moderator and just adjudicate how what actions had what consequences. Um, from that perspective, it's it's a much more enjoyable game. And one of the things I like about 5th edition is, uh, as a DM, I roll in the open every time. I'm not fudging really? dice. I yes. never do you, do you dice. like that, Greg? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally cool Actually, with that. Actually, my players and... kind of like it when I don't. Um, they don't know if I'm cheating or not, and normally I don't. But there are times when I feel the need to, I roll the dice, but I ignore the result. Yeah. yeah, see, to me, that's, I want them to know that their actions determine the outcome and randomness. Yeah. Well, I'm not against a DM having some roles behind the screen if, it's, if the purpose of that is to preserve some you know, story element of mystery, you know, right. If you're Which running into something and, and yeah. And so, yeah, I, I certainly don't have a problem now, with whether, which side you do it on, but it's nice to do it in the front because that also makes it more of a challenge too. You can see what they're doing. You can see what you're doing. It's, you know, it, when I do roll in the front and I do often, but specifically for things that will really make a difference 
in the story or to a particular character. I said, this is going to be the role. It's going to be here. Yeah, you know, we'll. I think we have it on our list of possible podcasts to talk about DMing because yeah. I think we've opened a whole can of worms here. And, and we actually are coming to the end of what we have to do for our podcast, and, so we have to wrap up yeah, at some and point. Yeah, uh, as part of this podcast, every week we want to try to sort of mention a product on DMs Guild. I don't know if listeners have gone to DMs Guild. Um, Dungeon Masters Guild Dun- or DM, DM, DMS. DMS Guild. Com. Com. Um, people put, I have stuff up there. People put stuff up there that you can use, uh, supplemental materials, it's some really Adventures great. League stuff. And it's um, cheap. There's a gentleman from down near St. Louis, uh, Dave, and I believe his last name is pronounced Zajac. Um, he came up to our local convention and ran some convention content for Adventures League um, called The Tenants of Bane. He's running it again this coming weekend at a convention down there, and then he's going to post it on DMs Guild. Really good series of modules. Um, his last name is Z-A-J-A-C, if anybody's looking him up. Um, and one of the modules has the, some of the best on underwater adventuring that I've run into uh, probably since first edition. So uh, good series of modules, runs pretty quick, a lot of deep background if you're, if you're into that. Or you can just sort of um, read, it, read it quickly and be able to run it effectively. Yeah, if you haven't checked out Dungeon Masters Guild, check it out. There's a lot of... There's a lot of free stuff on there that's very useful, especially if you're new to the game. And I think most people listening to this podcast are probably veterans, uh, grognards, much like ourselves. But there's still stuff even for people who've been playing for years. Yeah. I mean, I put something up there, uh, 10,000 medieval names. And yeah. uh, that gets downloaded all the time because I hate that. I know I hate it as a DM. What's a bartender's name? I don't know. And we ask the name of yeah, every so character we run into. Because have a you list made of 10,000 of them. Yeah, so. you made it. So I think that's a wrap for our first podcast. Um, who knows what our next one's going to be about, but we hope to be able to produce one every couple of weeks. Yeah. So that'll be it. So um, for the Grognards, I'm Dean. I'm Eric. I'm Greg. So we'll talk to you all later. <laughs>